It was about 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, I was uh, on a work project, and uh, you don't know me well enough yet to know how dangerous that statement is. Uh, I, I even broke some things just trying to bring this board in here this morning. It was kind of dangerous. And uh, there was two of you maybe who saw that. There will be no comments and no pictures taken if you, if you caught any of that. I was on a work project about 20 years ago, and we were trying to help this lady in her house. And, and the project was in her attic to take out some uh, drywall that had been put up in the attic space that was moldy and causing problems. And we're pulling that out, but yet the floor had already been taken out of the attic. And uh, the person who was instructing that uh, work project said, oh, it's, it's not hard at all. You just kind of walk right down the beam and you just make sure you stay on the beam and then everything will be okay. Well, they didn't understand. I don't have an uncanny sense of balance like some of our pastors here. And I, I, I'm just not real skilled in that area. And so I began to walk down this beam and uh, I was cautious, but I was young enough to get a little bit confident. Because I made one pass down and then another pass down and I thought, this is a piece of cake. And I began to work too quickly and I found that I was losing my sense of balance. I was falling to my right and so I just stepped into the pink stuff. I don't know if you've ever stepped into the pink stuff before in an attic, but it gives great surprise. My right leg went down much farther than my left, and it kept going down and kept going down until my left foot was up about at my ear, and uh, my right foot had gone through the ceiling of this lady's house. Balance was not my strength. You can practice balance, and there's some help. You cannot practice balance, and you can get yourself in trouble, but it doesn't lead to the fact any less true that balance is important. We're going to find out just how important balance is in the Christian life as Paul talks to us today as we continue our journey through 1 Corinthians. This series is entitled Growing Deeper. If you remember, we're in week three that we started this and we're seeing that Paul is calling the church to grow up, to, to, to go deep with him, to put down roots and to begin to mature as believers. We're going to follow through with our pattern and we're going to go through the themes we see here in chapter 8, 9, and 10. Paul's going to challenge the church to do a better job of balancing a few things. We're going to divide this into four balancing acts in, in Paul's words this morning. And so if you want to get out your notes, if you like to take notes, we're going to dive into that today. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, there is many issues that divide us that really don't have anything to do with doctrine or really God's truth. They have to do with our preference or have to do with our own legalistic tendencies, adhering to rules or standards that somebody arbitrarily set up, and we begin to love those rules more than we love the truth itself. Paul revisits this concept, and we're going to see this in this passage. In fact, we find that there is a question that he is answering, just like he was last week, but this week the question is different. It appears to be the question is this, is it okay for us to eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And this is a question of leftovers. I don't know if you like leftovers or not. I don't like leftovers. I want it fresh and hot and new. But every now and then there's something that's so good that, that I'm tempted to, to go ahead and try the leftovers. Uh, we were in Oklahoma and one of my favorite barbecue places there was Elmer's Barbecue. And it's just so good. 
And one of the things that made it so good was they gave you a portion of barbecue that no person should ever attempt to eat. And that was just amazing. So you could have lunch or dinner, and then you could take it home, and you could have it again. Well, I had taken the Elmer's barbecue, and I had put my barbecue in the fridge. What I had not realized was that there was also another container in the fridge, a barbecue from three weeks before, that no one had touched. It came the next day, and I went to lunch, and I uh, went to grab lunch, and I went to the refrigerator, and I saw the white Elmer's barbecue box. And uh, I pulled it out, and I started to eat it, and eat it. And it didn't taste real great, but I thought, I love it anyway, so I'm going to eat it. And it only took just a matter of hours until my body said, this is wrong. This is nasty. I got food poisons, you can guess. And what I hadn't found out was my wife had knew, knew that I brought barbecue. And she said, well, Brady didn't eat the last leftovers. I'm going to take it to work with me for lunch for myself. And so she took the good batch, and I had the old batch. And it was this leftover nasty meat. As I uh, look at that. Paul is answering a question about what do we do with the leftover meat? What do we do with the meat that was offered to these idols in the pagan temples? And is it something that we should be able to allow to eat or not eat? It's an important topic for them because legalism had reared its ugly head just like it does in most of our church gatherings. So let's look at Paul's words as we look at some help some principles to get some balance in this area in our life. The first one, if you're taking notes, we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and it's this. Knowledge must be balanced by love. It must be balanced by love. And he starts this with the, with the phrase, now about. And he's referencing something else that we haven't heard. Remember, 1 Corinthians is that telephone conversation that we just have one side of. So he's saying, now about what you had asked me. Now about what you had written to me about about the question you have given to me see knowledge he's going to talk about is important but it's got to be balanced by love knowledge can be a weapon that you can fight with or a tool that you can build with here's the situation paul warns the first century church about the danger of taking knowledge and becoming so puffed up with it that you miss the truth it's believing that logic is the answer to every controversial question. Instead, he said, it's not logic, it's not your knowledge how you should solve these tough questions. It's a matter of love. It's, it's a matter of love. Now, the problem, as I talked about, was eating this food that was sacrificed to idols. There was two sources of meat for them in that day, and they could go to the market and they could buy meat that was sold at the market, or these pagan temples would sell meat that had been offered to these false gods, and, and these gods weren't real, and so they didn't partake of the meat, and it was just left over, and they could sell it at a discounted price. And so the people were very intelligent, and those who were mature in the faith saw that these gods weren't real. They were just made of stone and wood and, and some kind of metals, and, and they weren't partaking of the meat, and the meat wasn't necessarily spoiled, so it's cheap meat. Let's eat that meat. And so they said, let's save money and buy it there. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal was that many of the people who Paul refers to as the weaker or the younger Christians... They came out of paganism. They had offered that meat to idols in their past themselves. They had made those sacrifices. And, and though they did not believe those gods were real anymore, 
It, it baffled them. How could you partake of meat that was offered to a pagan god? It was so real in their past. How could you defile yourself that way? And it became a challenge for them. So Paul says to the strong, mature Christians, we know that these idols aren't real. These sacrifices don't mean anything. But you need to temper your knowledge. You need to, to balance your knowledge with love. Don't cause others to stumble because of your knowledge that these are false gods and it doesn't have anything to do with the quality of the meat. But use your love, not your knowledge. Now, these who were referred to as weaker Christians, they don't ever define themselves as weaker or young. In fact, they don't look at those who are in the category that Paul says is mature or strong. They look at them as, as liberal Christians. And, and for them, it was a very real challenge. Why would you throw up something in my face that was such a big part of my disobedience in the past? They didn't like this instruction, the mature Christians. They began to say, well, I have freedom to eat whatever meat that I want to. But this legalistic talk begins to come about them. You know legalistic talk when you hear it emphasizing how much they know. Have you ever met somebody who loves to tell you how much they know? They just know everything. And they want you to know that they know everything. It doesn't matter what subject you're talking about. They know more than you do. They love to tell you how much they know. If you don't know anybody like that, you may be that person in your circle of friends. It's, it's not always the case, but often we find legalism beginning to breed when we focus on what we know. I know how to do this. I know what is right and what is wrong. I know. I know so much. And Paul says, temper your knowledge. Balance your knowledge with love. The problem is, if you're not careful, knowledge puts people in a seat where they are judging others. And they can lord it over them. They can say, well, I know how this should go, and this is how you need to live. Paul addresses this in chapter 8 when he says, As Christians, we are as wise to seek to prove not our knowledge, but to prove our love. In the end, we're accountable to God, not for how much we knew, but we're accountable to God for who we loved around us. As mature Christians, we should prove to each other how much we love one another and not prove how much we know. What if you weren't known to be a know-it-all, but a love giver? A love giver. I'm going to love every person that I get an opportunity to love. I'm going to give grace every time I can give grace. Write this in. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge will puff up your ego, it will give emphasis to who you are, and love builds up the other person. You can seek to prove how much you know, or you can seek to prove how much you love. Rules can become a distraction from the real priority. Write that in if you're taking notes. You can focus so much on the rules that it becomes a distraction of the real priority. You see, the other side of being legalistic and focusing on what you know, you can err on the other side if you don't have the proper balance, and you can begin to say, well, I'm going to do everything. If it feels good, do it. Everything is permissible for me, and so I will just do whatever I want. 
But Jesus is the great example for us in balance. In John 1.17 it says, The law was given by Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He lived a life of not abolishing the law, but fulfilling the law. So what is this legalism that Paul challenges us to, to stay away from? Uh, on one side of the balance beam, there is legalism. And on the other side, there is our tendency to just do whatever we want. It's my rights. It's the rules side or it's the my rights. I have liberty to do whatever I want. But we're going to find Christian liberty, not selfish liberty. And we're going to move from legalism to Christian liberty. Legalism, it's that strict adherence to rules or regulations. It refers to the person who overemphasizes the law. They overemphasize a code of conduct. Usually it has a negative connotation that they have misguided vigor. They are superficial at times. They often neglect mercy. They are ignorant of God's grace. This liberty and freedom that we have, it's the freedom to do whatever you want. Except when your wife tells you not to. Or your boss says you can't do it. Or the police say you need to slow down. Or your, your, your state and, and federal authorities talk to you. Or your insurance company says you can do that, but then you're not going to be covered under insurance anymore. And, and pretty soon we begin to see, even in my freedoms, there is limits. There is responsibility that is required with freedom. And Paul says, grow up, church. It's time to, to balance between these two pitfalls of the rules and the rights that you try to hang on to. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9 says this, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Be careful that when you exercise your freedom in Christ, you're not bound by the law, you're not bound by legalism, but when you exercise your freedom in Christ, be careful you don't become a stumbling block to somebody else. This is a verse that people refer to quite a bit, and it's right here in our text, and it's helpful for us to unpack today. A good question to ask us as we're trying to seek balance between rules and my own rights is, will my behavior or my choice cause a new or a weaker Christian to stumble in their walk? How will it affect them? I love how one author put it, what this country needs is not more liberty, but fewer people who take liberties with their liberty. People who will say, I have the freedom to do this, but I'm not going to choose to flaunt my freedom or use my freedom at your own expense. Write this in. We should love one another more than we love our freedom. How much do I care about my own rights versus I care about you or the person next to you? If the exercise of my freedom causes someone to stumble, then I should not be partaking of that freedom in front of them. This would be selfish. It would be senseless. And in sense, it comes back to our ultimate goal. That's pointing towards Christ. You see, when we look at this balancing picture that Paul is giving us, as we walk down the balance beam, if we focus on one side on legalism or the rules, we begin to gravitate towards that side and we fall. If we begin to focus on our, our own freedom and our rights, we begin to fall on that side. But if I don't focus on my rights or the rules, but I focus on Jesus, then I can begin to make it all the way down. You see, God is calling us to grow up and stop keeping our eyes fixed on what we are dealing with the most. 
Now, some of us in this room, you are in the camp right now, whether you know it or not, you are thinking legalistically. You just think about the rule. You just think about how it has to be this way. You know that it's this way. Knowledge, remember? You love the knowledge. There's others in this room you'd say, well, <laughs> I used to think that way. But now I'm mature. And I don't have to be bound by that. I have freedom. I can do whatever I want in Christ. And Paul says, why must you go to two crazy extremes? Why don't you allow Jesus to be your guide and help you grow up in the things of him? And don't focus on your rights or on the rules, but focus on Jesus. So, Pastor Brady, how does this unpack in the real world? You've talked a lot about meat and barbecue, and I don't know, you fell through an attic. I'm having trouble tracking with you today. Well, you see, if we would take a missions trip somewhere, and this church has done a lot of those, and we go to a culture where women did not do not wear what we wear here, and uh, their customs would be that women need to cover every part of their body, all of their skin. And if a woman would go into worship there with a short-sleeved dress that would come right below their knee, that may be very appropriate here, but in that context, in that setting, it may cause all the men in that worship setting to not focus on God, but to stare at some ankles and some wrists. They weren't accustomed to seeing that, and that could become a stumbling block to them. So, Pastor Brady, are you saying wearing a dress where the sleeves are short and it comes a little bit below the knee, that's a sin, right? No, it's not a sin. But caring so little for how it affects a brother around you, this can be a sin. Paul says it's not about that rule that you master with the knowledge that puffs you up because you know you're always right. It's not about going to the other extreme and saying, I'm going to do whatever I want to regardless because I'm free in Jesus. He says, why don't you follow the balance and keeping your eyes fixed on him and begin to ask these questions? Should I love my freedom more or my brother and sister in Christ more? So we're to be truthful. We need to share with one another. Is there something that's happening that's a stumbling block? Now just like these Christians who were really struggling with the fact that some were taking the meat that were sacrificed to pagan gods and they were using it for their own barbecue at home, they need to not feel condemned and small and and less, but they need to say, hey, you are bringing back stuff from my past that this is not good. It is causing me trouble in my life. And that Christian brother who it wasn't in his past needs to say, you know what, it's not worth cheap barbecue meat. I'm not going to go down that path. I don't want to cause you to stumble. See, if we speak the truth to each other about where we are at and what's causing one another to stumble, when we speak the truth in love, even if the truth is tough, God can bring healing through it. But if we speak the truth in judgment, it doesn't bring healing. If we abstain from speaking the truth and we just say everything is okay, we lose the power of God's word. Jesus tells us that we will have freedom in him. In John eight thirty two, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, let's keep moving together. Authority must be balanced by accountability. Paul says that in the next chapter, in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. Kind of a theme we see there is authority. It's got to be balanced by accountability. It fits in the same vein of rights versus rules. Paul seems to divert from this topic a little bit, but you can see that he is coming back to this main point. 
he's talking about how he does not have to take, or he has the right to take a salary. He spends all this time talking about how he has every right to take a salary from them from preaching, but he says, for the sake of the gospel, I'm choosing not to take a salary because it may advance the kingdom a little bit. Paul, what are you talking about? You're talking about meat, and now you're over here, and, and back and forth. He's saying, listen, just because I have the right to do something doesn't mean it's going to help my brother and sister. And so to help my brother and sister in this scenario, he felt like it would be best not to take a salary when it, where he was preaching and say, I'm going to preach without that salary, and now this is a model for you that you should not always do whatever you're free to do. Look at how it's going to glorify God around you. We see here that we are to recognize freedoms in Christ, but should not always exercise those freedoms. Drop that in if you're taking notes. We could recognize our freedoms in Jesus, but we should not always exercise those freedoms. We become prideful. We begin to think of our own agenda. We become selfish. When is the last time that you have told yourself, you know what, it would be okay to do that, but... I may be able to advance the gospel better if I didn't. It'd be okay for me to watch that, but it may cause someone else around me to stumble, so I'm not going to watch that. It may be okay for me to participate in that, but but you know what? It's clearly offending someone to my left or right, and I don't want to I don't want to offend them. Some kind of pride creeps up and says, "Well, that's legalism right there," and and I, I I'm out from underneath that. I don't have to do that. Well, yeah, you are out from underneath that. But do you love your freedom more or do you love that brother or sister more? Would you allow yourself to be hemmed in at all for the sake of communicating the gospel to someone around you? Ecclesiastes 7.18 tells us it's good to grasp one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God avoids all extremes. It's saying that God can give us balance as we follow him, as we grow up in the things of Christ. Remember, Paul saying, work on your balancing skills. See, every other religion focuses on its rules. But Christianity focuses on its relationship. It's hard to manipulate a relationship harder than it is to master a set of rules. If you have a set of rules, you can master it, it's there and it's stagnant, you can control that, but to control a relationship is much harder. And Jesus says, why don't you trust me in a relationship with me and allow me to help guide you through every decision you make? And we say, I'd rather just stick with the book, the rule. Or I'd rather just know that I've got the freedom to do that, or I know that I can't do that. But Jesus says, what if you would follow me? I wrestled with this a lot early in my Faith and preparation for ministry. I grew up in a faith tradition that had a love for holiness, but sometimes skewed to a love for rules, and they got confused. I began to ask questions where I was confident that I was more morally superior than those who had mentored me. You mean I can't go to that place and watch Bambi on a big screen, but I can rent whatever trash I want to at Blockbuster? As arrogance oozed out of my mouth. And I had a professor who poured into me and asked me a question that made me so aggravated. He had the wisdom to know what was going on in my brain, and he said, Brady, I just have one question for you. Just define this for me. What does offend you? Oh, I didn't like that question. Because then it had to ask, is there anything that I would say, this is not good for my soul. This is not good for my spirit. This is not good for my brother or sister. 
And it began to make a shift in my heart a number of years back. And and God began to say, you know what? More than just mastering a set of rules, more than just abstaining from every rule, if you focus on me, I will whisper to you, this is productive. This is not productive. This is helping you. This is not helping you. This is building up your brother or sister. This is tearing them down. But one keeps me in complete submission to him. And the other, I can just check in with him. That question rung true in my ears, and I think it has some help for us today. Friend, what does offend you? Is there anything that offends you? I know you have freedom and liberty. But where is the room for the Holy Spirit to cause you to have pause? Those of us who are on the legalism side, I know that you have a great list of rules of do's and don'ts. But where is your understanding of God's grace in your life? Where is your understanding of God giving you something more than just a rule? 1 Corinthians 9, 22-23, this is what Paul says, To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have overcome all things, excuse me, I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share it in its blessing. Look at that in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 9, 22-23. This is important. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. What he is saying is, I'm going to allow God to have room to bring a conviction into my life. For the sake of the gospel. We have stopped teaching or preaching on what a conviction is. There are moral, universal laws in God's word. Ten Commandments are a good example of that. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at, they are absolutely true for every person. Number one, you should have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not worship idols. Number three, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Five, honor your mother and father. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, do not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, do not lie. Ten, do not covet. Before you're impressed with my memory of that, I am not that smart, but we're going to learn in a couple of weeks how to memorize the Ten Commandments for the rest of your life. They're silly little pictures, and you'll be very unimpressed with my artist skills, but it will get driven into your heart. You see, those are universal laws, and they're true for all of us. But God also wants to whisper and say, I want to speak into you right now a word of caution. This is a conviction that's not okay for you. Listen to me clearly. I'm not preaching or teaching that there is relative truth. All truth is true for every single person. But God wants to speak something to you to bring you in even more at times. Let me give you an example. Growing up in my house, it was not okay with my family, to watch TV on Sunday. Uh, I spent a lot of time reading how silly this was, and and I I just was convinced this was a legalistic problem. Couldn't watch TV on Sunday. Well, as I grew older, we could watch the Super Bowl that was DVR, didn't have DVR then, that was uh, on VHS tape or on beta tape, and, and we'd watch it after the services were over. Well, I began to study and say, well, Sabbath really didn't even start on Sunday, and then after the church, and I, I, it just frustrated me to no end. But the wisdom in my house said, Brady, I'm not asking you if you agree with this. For me and my house, this is what we're going to do because God has put a conviction on Dad's heart. I never got away from that. 
Is that a conviction God has put on my heart? No, it's not. But God has put other convictions on my heart where God has said, Brady, for this time and this place, you will not participate in this at all. It wasn't for that other person. It wasn't for them, but it was for me to safeguard for me. So, Pastor, you're saying that the the Bible is true for some and not for others. No, listen to me closely. There's universal principles in God's word that's for every person. But God says, let me have a relationship with you. He knows your strengths in light of who you are now and who he's calling you to be. There may be some things he'll say, you need to stop because of who you're going to influence or what it may do to you. Do we leave any room for the Holy Spirit to bring a conviction into our heart? We need to see here that the overriding goal is to connect people to Jesus and to one another. Write that in. That's it. Sometimes the exercise of our freedoms can be dangerous. It could lead someone else astray from the gospel. It could also lead us astray. We can begin to think that we are so strong that we can handle it, and then our walking that line, leaning towards our legalism, or leaning towards our own freedom or rights, we begin to fall in sin ourselves. And Jesus says, be very careful. We need to experience, every experience must be balanced by caution. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 12, 1 through 22 talks to us about that. You see, Paul speaks in this chapter, much like a, a parent who is releasing his child into the world, you have earned these freedoms, but be careful. Don't think of your freedom as a license to do what is wrong or a license to do whatever you want to Even if it's right, think of it as a relationship with the Father. Your experience must be balanced by caution. If we become overconfident, our temptation can seize us. We see here 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation that has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's a powerful scripture. When you are tempted to know that it's not anything that's uncommon to man, but he will provide a way out. And so as we walk this balance between our rights and our rules, which neither one is what we should focus on, but focusing on Christ, we begin to see that he provides a way out of temptation. One of the greatest dangers is for Christians who become so overconfident, they begin to think that none of this applies to them, and they find themselves Falling in temptation. Galatians 6.1. Listen to this. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. I had a friend, and it was several years ago, it was a man who was battling alcoholism. And uh, he had stopped drinking for a period of time. And, and I asked him a tough question. I said, uh, uh, how many cans of beer do you have in your fridge? He said, well, I just keep one six-pack in there, and it's, it's to give me strength that I resist the temptation to, to drink that, and, and uh, I'm not going to be bound to the alcohol anymore. And I said, are, are you really sure that's, that's wise? Yeah, it gives me strength. To, I know every time I open the fridge that I'm resisting that temptation, and it builds up that, that strength in me. As much as I love my brother, I could see the path of, of problem coming down the way, and it wasn't just a matter of weeks before he fell back into that again. We can begin to walk a line where we bring temptation to us so much it's unnecessary. But if we would allow God to be our guide, he could safeguard us from that. 
it's the things in our life where we say, well, I don't need a filter on that internet. I mean, that's for somebody else. That's not for me. It's when I begin to say, you know what, uh, I don't need to look at that close working relationship who, with someone who has different morals than me or who has uh, emotional crisis in their life. I don't need to worry about getting so close to them. It's about that person who says, you know what, in forms of entertainment, whatever it may be, you know, that, that's legalistic stuff. I don't need to worry about those, those rules. I, I'm not going to stumble. I'm one of those mature, strong Christians. See, freedom must be balanced by responsibility. Write that in. It's got to be balanced by responsibility. Paul talks about this in 23 through 33. No doubt, Paul probably appeared to be hypocritical to people who were watching. Sometimes he would eat meat with the Gentiles, whatever it was, and sometimes he would eat only kosher meat when he ate with the Jews. And it appeared that he was fluctuating between one and the other, but actually he was very constant in his position that whatever would benefit the body of Christ is how he lived his life. It's just like thinking that a, a weather vane is back and forth. There's no consistency. At first glance, the weather vane just goes one direction and then goes the other, and that's how Paul appeared to be. But when you begin to look at it, the weather vane always, 100% of the time, will point in the direction of where the wind is blowing. You begin to see Paul is saying, every decision I make, it's not based off of my rights or off of the rules that I adhere to. It's what will advance the cause of Christ in this situation. It's freedom balanced by responsibility. The key verse here is verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10:31. Whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Regardless of what you decide to do, make certain that you can do it for the glory of God. Write that in, for the glory of God. Regardless of whatever you do. And this changes everything. It's, it's no longer about, give me the updated version of the Nazarene Code of Christian Conduct. Uh, tell me exactly what is the sanctioned things that I could be a part of here by Grace Point Church of the Nazarene. And it shifts to say, you know what? Who are you with? Where are you at? Begin to ask God. Well, that takes work. I've got to pray about it and I've got to stay close to Jesus. Yes. You need to press into Him. Paul says, grow up. Grow up. You see what he did in the first part of the book? He talks about unity and division. And he says, make sure you unify on the things that need unity, the things of Jesus. And you allow liberty to come in when there's things of preference. Major on the majors, minor on the minors. And then he comes back around and he gives a spanking with sexual immorality like he did last week. And he says, wake up, don't mess with this. And now he comes back and he says, there needs to be balance between rules and what you feel like are rights. And it's a relationship with Jesus. Grow up, church, he says. And make sure you are actually bringing glory to me by your own actions. Well, as we close this morning, I have four questions we can ask in rapid fire to help us know how to live this out this afternoon, tomorrow, next week. How do I know if I'm living legalistically or if I'm living selfishly for my own rights? Or how do I know if I'm living in a way to bring glory to God? Because that's what Paul's after. He's not after just sticking more information in your head. He wants you to apply it. He wants us to be transformed by the Word of God. First question is this. Will my behavior lead me to freedom or slavery? So you pick the topic. Right now in your mind, I want you to begin to think, are you a person who's struggling with legalistic tendencies or selfish tendencies? 
And then ask yourself this question. Will my behavior lead me to freedom or to slavery? If I continue to do that, will I become enslaved to that habit, to that activity? Or will it bring freedom to me? That gives us some some help. Play out that behavior in your own mind. 1 Corinthians 6.12, everything is permissible, but it may not be beneficial. The next question we can ask to, to bring this home for us is, whatever decision you're making, will this decision be a stumbling block or a stepping stone for someone else? See, first we're looking at, will this enslave me or bring freedom to me? But then the next one is, what will it do to those around me? Will it help them grow in their faith or will it stunt them in their faith? 1 Corinthians 8.13, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Is there anything in your life that you'd say, you know what, it's just not worth it for me. If this causes my children to struggle, I'm not going to deal with it. We're going to just cut it out. If this causes my brother or sister in the community of Christ to struggle, I'm just going to cut it out. Or does pride creep up and say, excuse me, it's my right to do that. If others were to follow your example, could people use your behavior as an excuse to be disobedient themselves? Third question, will these actions only please me or they glorify Christ? Sometimes we're so focused on on the pleasure that it brings to us and how we make a decision. Well, it's, it's just fun. It's just It's just enjoyment for me. Or is there any glory brought to Christ in that? When you make decisions about how you participate in entertainment, is it just what's funny to you or is it what glorifies Jesus? Here's a great litmus test with comedy. Can you pray right after you heard the punchline? Or do you have to apologize to Jesus for what you just heard? Pastor Brady, this sounds a lot like legalism. Hold on, listen to me. I'm not judging you for what you have watched or what you have laughed at. I'm just asking you to pray about it. What what would bring glory to Jesus? Paul says there's freedom here. Real freedom is when you have a relationship with Jesus. You don't have to be a slave to rules. You don't have to be a slave to your selfish, my rights. But I can begin to allow him to move in and through me. If we don't get this right, week three, four, and five don't make sense. We need to catch it today. Final question. Will your choices help to win lost people to Christ or turn them away from Christ? Will your choices help to win lost people to Christ or turn them away? 1 Corinthians 10, 32 and 33 says, we've looked at it before, Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greek." For the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Look at that last part. 1 Corinthians 10.33 And when's the last time that we look through our own actions and say, would this lead somebody to Jesus or not? I want to uh, thank you for your attention this morning as we close today. This is one of those teachings where Paul teaches, and it's not categorized as glamorous. It may not make the news highlight reel of the most flashy thing that you've ever heard. But what Paul is trying to say is, there's some flashy, exciting things I want to keep you from. 
when you begin to find that you are stepping in the pink stuff and your left foot ends up at your ear, it may get your attention and everyone around you wants to take a quick picture of it and, and post it everywhere so they can remember that moment. But it's not fun for you or the woman who has that roof that, or that ceiling that's now busted. Paul's whole teaching here is to say, hey, hey, listen, listen, listen to me. It's so important that you don't need to get to those moments of crisis. You don't have to get to that shock and awe moment. But the enemy begins to get us to, to waver. And, and we look at this Christian life, and you're going to fall in one of two camps. I love my rules. I love them. That's what keeps me on this beam. If I didn't have rules, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't make it. Really? You begin to focus on the rules, and you may be hugging your rules, but you find yourself stepping off. Or you say, you know what, because of how I've grown up, or what someone else has done to me, I begin to walk the plank, and I focus so much on my rights, and you cannot force me to be that way, and we step off again. But Jesus is saying to us, what if you would not worry about either one? And what if you would... Look ahead and focus on me and begin to move down paths that you haven't navigated before. It doesn't matter if it's an inch off the ground or a hundred feet off the ground. No matter what the consequence is, if it's a small thing or a catastrophic thing in your life, when you begin to learn as we grow up in him to focus on Jesus, it gets us through the pitfalls of legalism and the pitfalls of finding our own rights in what we think is freedom. And real liberty is there. When we know the one who can navigate the course more than trying to master the own course ourselves, As we pray together, my prayer for you today is not so much that if you like the teaching. I hope you do. I like the teaching. I love God's Word. I love it. First Corinthians is one of my favorite books until I start teaching from Romans or somewhere else. Well, I'm in it now. It's my favorite. But I hope you catch us today. Paul is not just giving you some kind of shot in the arm. You came to church. Paul is saying, grow up. Caden brought me a book that she wrote about herself. It says, I'm getting bigger. Page one, I am seven and I can tie my shoes on my own. Page two, I am 11 and I can do my own homework. Page 19, I have my own car. I wanted to stop reading the book at that point. Page 23. Mom is now a grandma. And I wanted to shut the book quickly. (laughs) We love to think about as we grow in the future in this life. Paul says, what would you write in your book of I'm growing as a Christian? Has it ever crossed our mind? It's not as I get stronger in Him. I can watch whatever I want to, say whatever I want to, do whatever I want to, go wherever I want to. Or would it be, maybe with some, I will even curtail back a little bit because I don't want them to fall. We're going to talk more about that for these weeks. But it's my prayer that we all write a little book today about what it will be like as we continue to grow. Father, thank you for my friends and their great attention they've given to your word today. I pray that you'll not just stir their heart, but I pray that you'll take this information, you'll mix it with your challenge to apply it in our life, and Lord, we're counting on you to transform us through your word today. We ask these things, not just as a wish or a hope, 
We don't just ask this as just a good thing to do on Sunday morning, but in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that conquered sin, death, and the grave, where there's healing in his name, where there's health and restoration in his name, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'll bless my brothers and sisters and transform our lives together, that we will be a community that does not fall in the pitfalls of rules or my rights, but we focus on you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for worshiping. Now go put it in practice. Tell me what happens in your life. See you tonight. God bless.